Welcome to The New Next, a podcast that addresses current events and how they will impact the future. You said you had like a religious question for me. Well, I was going to ask ask <coughs> if we could discuss the meaning of Jesus your personal meaning of Jesus and what you think of that. But I think that could be a discussion that goes on for quite a little while. Okay. So I, I think it would be interesting. Well, maybe we should just talk about it. Um, you know, like it's religion has changed so much Mm -hmm. And, and the Catholic church, I don't believe was really, or at least your original Christian church, the Roman Catholic church, um, you know, it was kind of what we know of it was started by Constantine essentially. And, and, and there's, there was a lot of reinterpretation in the beginning around, the son of God by the person that had been worshiping the sun God before that. So it's just kind of, there's so much similarity to it, but in its core sense, you know, Jesus, you kind of like, I think you go between maybe there are people that believe that he's a real person or was a real person. You, you go be- between the extremes of whatever Jesus said is true. And this is, this is what I believe now. The Bible now is as it always has been or me. Who's probably like is feels that, you know, he's, I feel he was a real person but I also feel our interpretation of him is a more a metaphor. And a lot of these things about walking in his shoes are lessons that we should take to heart. It's not being like someone else. It's being our best version of ourself and having kind of a mirror of someone in a story, much like you have in all these other faiths and indigenous people. Like it's, like I've, I've talked a lot about, you know, Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey. And that's, I feel Jesus as a entity in the way that we have culturally provides a lot of, um, a lot of power in that story, whether or not he exists. Like, I don't, I don't even think if he exists, it really mattered. And if he exists, I thought, I personally think he would have a lot darker complexion than is preferred or is presented typically. So, um, but I was just curious about your, maybe whether or not you want to say share personal beliefs, but just your kind of um, impression around this, because I, you know, I do come from Seattle 
and there's a lot of more new age background there that's uh not traditional religion and mm-hmm. that can be good and bad you know um but um like it's i don't really know where i necessarily stand on my faith if that's a thing and kind of like the interpretation of of everything so I was just kind of curious of your just whatever you have have to think about that um i'd say probably first is I think there is enough evidence to say that there really was a person that was named Jesus or that's translated Jesus. Um, yeah. The one that's in the Bible. I think there's enough, I think there's enough stuff out there that actually shows, um, that that person was a real person. Now the mythology of Jesus, that's a whole other, um, whole other thing that I guess it's really going to just depend on what, where you come from on what you do or don't believe about that stuff. Um, um, I don't, I will say also that the ones who make up the, um, um, what's the word I'm trying to think of the people who created the stories had a very specific reason to create those stories. Um, whether that means that it automatically gives validation or not, that's a, again, another, (laughs) um, side of stuff. Um, I think, Let's see. Hmm. I think if you choose to believe the mythology, and I know my wife one time got really upset, and this is when I was still active in ministry, um, was upset that I used the term mythology. Um, But that is the correct term when talking about um, the stories behind... um, God-like events and stuff. Um, it's not necessarily God proper, God not proper, just that is the general terminology that um, generally gets used for it. I mean, that is like the proper terminology. Um, yeah. So I'm not trying to offend anybody by saying um, the mythology or the mythos of Jesus. Um, um, I believe ultimately how you live your life is very important. And if you subscribe to the mythos of Jesus, then you have a personal responsibility to, um, to do everything possible to live inside that mythos. Um, so if you do participate in, uh, church, um, and this isn't limited to even Jesus, but whatever faith, if you, if you participate in a faith and by participate, I mean, not just what you believe um, mentally about that faith, but if you take actions that show that you're part of that faith, you should really take seriously why that faith came together and mm-hmm. why it shapes you the way it's, um, cause 
any group of people is trying to shape you into being part of that group of people. Um, and this is true for sports fans just as much as it is for religions. Um, yeah. This is true for political parties just as much as it is for, um, um, well, technically the, the type of batteries you buy. Hmm. Um, I mean, advertising, you know, um, they're trying to get you to buy Duracell. So they, they do things to make you want to buy Duracell. Yeah. Um, and that sounds like a silly thing to compare religion to Duracell battery, or it could, it could sound silly. And I, and I appreciate that nuance, but every, every ideology is trying to form you into that ideology. Um, and the more that I've studied church history specifically, um, as we talked about with Luther, I don't know if that'll, that'll probably be a separate episode. So, or maybe the same episode, who knows? But when we talked about Luther, um, Luther was never trying to start a new faction of Catholicism. Luther was trying to make Catholicism better. Mm-hmm. And the people that had the power in Catholicism did not appreciate Luther at all. <laughs> and um, so they tried to kill him. Yeah. And in that same mythos, of the mythos of Luther, so... <laughs> Um, even though we have more documented history of Luther, that is part of the mythos of Luther that, um, you know, uh, when he writes the the song, a mighty fortress is our God, there's like the third verse or something that talks about Satan coming out to try to get him. And uh, my professor always said that that's really, he's, he's saying Satan, but he really means the Pope. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it brings a whole new meaning when I sang that song for the yeah. next um, several years. Um, so, um, I just want to. I just want to make sure that when, whatever gets said on this, it's not a. If you hear, and I think that this is very much true in the Bible, that God is love, yeah. And you hear that Jesus is the manifestation of that God, um, and that Jesus preaches love. At the very least, you need to understand what love means and what that looks like in action. Um, yeah, that's a great way. And. Of um, one of the things that happened during the Reformation, um, and it's 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 interesting specifically that a lot of stuff happened at the exact same within a hundred years of each other, um, even though they were in completely different cities. You know, Zurich to, um, um, um well, to a freaking uh, Spain. I mean, uh, the Queen that sent out Columbus and stuff. Uh, part of that was because of a reformation that was happening within the Catholic church itself. I mean, yeah. this is, this is, this is, it's, it's not just a European or a Eurocentric. It's a, it's, it's something that was going was across. Um, yeah. All the known Christian world, um, say for Russia. <laughs> um, the, uh, and that's why they say that they're the original church. In some um, respect. Yeah, and in some respect, uh, uh, the Coptics say the same thing in Egypt, um, and yeah. they have a little bit, a few more years on them. Um, the uh, and I and I say all this because I don't. I learned about Jesus the way that most um, Southwest, South Central kids learned about Jesus uh, through an evangelical church, evangelical, and evangelical style churches. Um, that um, talked a lot about Jesus's love, Jesus's love. But then when you started going to the Sunday schools and stuff, Jesus was about, um, he saved us from this vengeful God who needed a blood sacrifice. 
and there's lots of different versions that talk about that. Um, so it goes from being God and Jesus are love to being Jesus is literally a, a goat being sacrificed. And, and also the shame that you have to right, right. internalize and so, too that someone gave their life up for you. Um, one of the highest grossing movies at its time, um, uh, The Passion of the Christ that Mel Gibson made, there were two very specific type of viewers. The first several months, the viewers were Christians from all across the world who um, cried every time Jesus took any kind of punishment in the movie because they thought that, like, this is what he did for me, a sinner. Um, And it's because of him that I'm saved by grace through faith, but not of works that one should boast. You know, kind of that Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 kind of reference. And then uh, after the first few months, the number one person that, the number one group of people that watched it were people who liked bloody uh, body horror type movie type stuff. (laughs) And um, in fact, the, the second six months of it being in theaters and home videos and stuff, that was who made up the major part of the market. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't Christians or if it was, or it was at least Christians with, uh, <laughs> with some um, interesting viewpoints uh, with Jesus. Um, <laughs> yeah. But if that's what you worship, that's what you become. So if you worship a very um, judgmental um, believing in justice as the ultimate thing, kind of God, then the Jesus that you worship is going to have that same kind of trait, or at least it's going to be the, um, it's kind of like your get out of jail free card <laughs> um, until you do something else stupid. And then it's like, how many times, how many get, get out of jail free cards are there a monopoly, right? You know, you can only get so many, which then goes again. I mean, then, and this is where, this is why it's a difficult thing for me to participate in that type of God system is because, um, Jesus says, if somebody harms you, if somebody does injustice against you to forgive them. And Peter says, well, how many times should we forgive them? Seven times, 70 times. Um, And depending on the translation that you get, it's either seven times seven or 70 times, 70 times. I mean, it's, um, but it's just an absurd number. Um, And you're not, and it wasn't ever meant to be taken like, okay, well, Matt said something mean to me today. So he only has 48 more times before I have to no longer be his friend. Um, um, though there are people that definitely take it that way. <laughs> um, but that, that's, a, that's um, once I started relearning that God is love and showing what that love looks like. And sometimes the love seems to be very violent, yeah. but um, I started, I mean, and it's not an easy answer. And that's probably one reason why you said you wanted to save it for another time, but you have to look at the God from um, the original Hebrew people of what, who are they talking about when they say that God created the heavens and the earth? Yeah. When God, when God separates sky from sky and one is in a global, one's a global uh, spherical sky and one is the sky outside the sphere. What does that mean? What does it mean um, when um, inside this, this spherical sky that um, um, you have separation and all of a sudden there's this kind of land mass as opposed to the still watery kind of sky that's out there. And again, considering the time frame it was written, I just find this interesting. If you look at our atmosphere, like the stuff surrounding the globe, 
it's got a, an element of water and stuff in it. So yeah. <laughs> uh, saying waters are being separated from waters and skies being separated from sky. And it's very similar substances is really interesting for the time frame that was written. Yeah. Um, um, and I, and my old Testament professor used to always say, you study Jesus to understand the old Testament and you read the old Testament to understand Jesus. Yeah. Um, well, the problem is <laughs> um, we get caught up on something in the old Testament or we get caught up on something that Jesus said um, and so it's hard to, it's hard to run a group of people based on the life of Jesus alone. Yeah. And so as attractive as Jesus is, um, we start looking to people like Peter and Paul to start really defining what does it mean to follow Jesus as a group of people and the intention and there, and yes, Peter and Paul specifically are responding to very specific instances of people trying to live in a community who um, follows Jesus's way. Um, but in the same way that I might tell you some advice because of your life, what you're going through, it wouldn't be necessarily the same thing I would tell Brad who might be going through a similar situation, but the circumstances are completely different. Mm -hmm. So I might be giving him advice like, Hey, you just need to um, suck it up and deal with it. And you, I might say like, dude, it's time to cut your ties and move on. Um, and they both can be right because of how life is. Mm -hmm. uh, the problem is, is that we take what Paul or Peter or John <laughs> say, and we're like, oh no, this is universal. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and because if God, if God told them or God inspired them, then anything they say has to be exactly that way. Um, which then, of course, it's like, okay, well, now you have four Gospels that say four different things that Jesus said at the exact same time. And so if you look at everything under a rules-type system, then you have to justify why four different people heard four different things from Jesus. But, I mean, goodness, today, with, with, with written word, um, with people videotaping stuff, and we still get four different messages from um, what the president might say. Yeah, totally. Um, um, or even what we talked about the other day with um, the Pope and Russia and talking about Imperial and stuff and what that means to American ears and uh, maybe specifically liberal American ears versus um, um, conservative um, American ears versus Russian ears versus European ears. I mean, there's... There's so much more nuance now, and because we live in a global economy, um, and we're not all following the same kind of Jesus, you know. Yeah. We're uh, one of the churches that I, uh, before I officially became pastor, but I was just doing some guest preaching. Um, I, uh, uh, when you walk into the church, uh, thankfully this church is no longer around for multiple reasons. They were, in fact, this is <laughs> it's funny. Um, so. <laughs> you walk into this church and there's basically a two story. Are you still there? Yeah. Okay. There's a two story um, painting of Jesus and he's got beautiful blonde hair. His eyes are, uh, you know, Royal blue. Huh. Um, and he's wearing very white tunic, um, like, like angelic white tunic. Um, and, it's a country church. It's out in the middle of nowhere, Oklahoma, but it tells you a lot about the kind of Jesus that they're probably worshiping inside. Yeah. 
Um, Then the first pastorate I actually took out in Pennsylvania, they had a three-story painting of Jesus in the sanctuary. So not just in the foyer, not in the lobby, but in the sanctuary. (laughs) So Jesus was literally always behind you (laughs) when you're preaching a sermon. Now, to be fair, is uh, that was a brown-haired Jesus, uh, still blue-eyed. The tunic was a little bit less white, but I think it's because it was how old the painting was. Um, (laughs) um, But it definitely contributed to the kind of Jesus that 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 church community had been worshiping. Now, the first church I mentioned, the one that was in the foyer, uh, the secretary ended up um, stealing money Mm -hmm. and the church went under because she was taking money out for her own personal benefit. And, um, um, and I know they, they said they loved me and they loved the person that followed me, but um, just as an itinerant preachers, but um, I knew it wasn't going to be a fit. It wasn't because of the painting and stuff. They were actually a very kind to me. They were kind to the person who followed me, but we both recommended another guy and um, he loved them. He treated them well. But um, they wanted, like the guy who followed me, they're like, well, are you going to lead the singing? And he's like, I can't sing. They're like, well, Mike's sang. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And he's like, well, that's great. Mike's taken, you know, 20 years of music. Uh, (laughs) I've only sung in the hymns. If you want me to stand up there and sing, I will. But um, it's not going to be a benefit for you guys. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Um, And, but they got so upset at him for not being able to sing. Um, and then when the church eventually closed because the secretary was stealing money and stuff, um, you know, this, uh, this, um, Nazi, um, Jesus, you know, the perfect ideal German Aryan German (laughs) Jesus was destroyed with it. Yeah. And, um, and I'm not meaning that like, there's whole other things of iterations of Nazism and all that kind of stuff as well. Um, but there's just something about the image that you, of Jesus that you worship that it leads you to do certain kinds of things. And um, one of my favorite Jesus scholars, um, in fact, it's in this book. <laughs> I can show you a book in case this actually is a video. Uh, Jesus and the Victory of God by N.T. Wright. This was uh, supposed to be a just a couple hundred pages, but uh, he kept writing and writing. Um, there's a part early on in the, um, I think it's the preface or was it the introduction? Let me actually check. Seriously, what's funny. I haven't even opened this book um, since 2004, 2005. Um um, but I think this is a great, great response. Um, the historian of the first century cannot shrink from the question of Jesus. That was the conclusion I came to near the end of the first volume of the series. He, he was only going to write like a total of a thousand pages and each mm-hmm. book's like a thousand pages. Um, um, on whose shoulders should present work rest on all its weight. I argued that the study of first century Judaism and first century Christianity forces us to raise specific questions about Jesus. Who was he? What were his aims? Why did he die? And why did early Christianity begin in the way that it did? Um, 
This book is my attempt to answer the first three of these questions and to point towards the answer in the fourth. Um, let's see. I am still sometimes embarrassed when people ask me what the present book is about, and I say Jesus. <laughs> it seems pretentious. How can anyone have anything new to say about Jesus without being a crank or a maverick, or worse, making Jesus himself into one? Um, I've yeah. come to believe that these questions about Jesus are vital, central, and as of yet, not fully answered, and that a clearly worked out historical method and a fresh reading of first century Judaism and Christianity will point us in the right direction. Uh, just for record, this book was uh, published in uh, 1996. Yeah. So um, let's see. I'm going to skip a couple pages. This is the preface. Um, this preface is like 20 pages long. So. Oh, uh, and I, you know, I didn't have time to prepare for any of this, so mm -hmm. I, that's my excuse. Um, well, I got, I got my book to show you afterwards too. So. Um, I'll have to find it later, but basically there's a part where he says the longer, like Albert Schweitzer, who was the first one to do the search for the historical Jesus, um, the, uh, that, Albert Schweitzer always said that like the problem is that when people look at when they study Jesus, they keep seeing themselves. And so um, that Jesus then becomes more and more like the person who's writing about him. Yeah. And then he writes responses like, so every time I kept on seeing Jesus, I kept on seeing how much I'm not him. And so that's when I realized I was on the right track because yeah. I'm definitely not Jesus. Um, <laughs> and so um, every time I started seeing Jesus look just like me, I took a, I took a break. You know, I, I was like, okay, something's wrong. If, I, if Jesus is looking a lot like me, a white uh, British guy. Um, now he did end up being like the Bishop of Canterbury, uh, Archbishop of Canterbury. And while still writing and stuff, um, which is very close to a Pope like level yeah. um, of the Anglican church. Um, I, I'm um, an Episcopal, so or was baptized. So I know all about that. Ooh. Ooh. Um, <laughs> uh, so there, there's some stuff in the, like I said, and then he actually wrote a third book in the series that was only supposed to be a couple hundred pages. And it ended up being his longest book of all. And it was literally about um, what the resurrection means historically um, through myths of other cultures and stuff, mm, how much I, we take resurrection from Zoroaster and, um, background and why Pharisees had such a problem and Sadducees, uh, why they had such debates about, um, what the resurrection meant and why you hear those stories about, um, <laughs> Jesus, uh, getting away from the Sadducees at one point, because he's like, ah, oh, this thing is resurrected. And <laughs> because the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. I mean, like mm -hmm. it's, um, he goes into a really, I mean, again, he was only expecting it to be maybe, maybe a hundred pages and it ends up being like nine, 986 pages or something. Wow. Um, and he's written a couple other volumes. I haven't ever bought them. I, I probably need to, but it's his whole goal was just to write about Paul, but he was trying to set everything up for Paul. Yeah. So he writes a small 800 page book, um, then a small 900 page book, and then a small thousand page book, just so he can set the precedent of how to talk about Paul. It's, that all being said, yeah. um, the Jesus that I do, regardless of my activity outside the church, inside the church at this time, I believe that Jesus ultimately cared about those who were not cared about. Um, and those who were on the margins, 
did everything possible to make them at least feel heard or seen. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I don't know. And I, and I don't know if I'll ever restudy it again in the same way, but um, I don't know if they always got what they wanted from Jesus. Many wanted him to heal them. And instead all he did was um, provide a, a space to be heard. And sometimes that was enough to heal them of afflictions. And I'm not, I'm not getting into the supernatural aspect of whether or not they were actually healed. Like if they were bleeding, did the bleeding stop Uh, to me? That's, that's a whole, there's a whole other point for that specific stuff to be written. But I do know even in today's world, if someone feels heard and someone feels seen, um, potentially even if they feel loved, maybe even more so if they feel loved that a lot of elements and stuff don't seem as important and they're able to move on with their life and eventually get, help they need to continue being a healthy person. And I believe that is very much about who Jesus was. I believe Jesus um, cared less about the religious establishment in the sense that um, that's not that well, the, the religious establishment killed him. Yeah. I mean, but that's, that's a secondary thing. Like that's not, <laughs> that's not, that doesn't have anything to do about who Jesus was because even, even at the end, According to the best records we have, Jesus still stood up and he, he would say like, okay, so now I know what it costs to kill me, you know, uh, 50 silver, 50 pieces of silver. Uh, um, like, hey, Peter, even though you're my most rambunctious follower, um, you're going to deny me because ultimately this is bigger than what you think it is. You're thinking this is a revolution in the sense of we're going to take over. And this is a revolution of saying we're going to take everything that's given to us. And, um, and it's going to cost us, it's going to cost us dearly. It's going to cost our lives, but maybe our li- the, the cost of our blood will inspire others to no longer act in those kinds of ways. And, um, even in the resurrection story at the very least, uh, no matter what version of the resurrection you attribute to, whether it's supernatural, um, whether it's physical, um, it's saying that, hope still carries on um, and that the ways of Jesus are costly and it doesn't matter what period of time you're in. It doesn't matter if you're male, female, what country you're from, it's costly to follow Jesus in a way that you recognize those who aren't recognized by the authorities and to give space to people cost. Um, But it also brings a type of, um, I would say love, but a type of community, a type of, um, dignity. I like that word dignity that is beyond just, um, because I mean, the reality is I I live in a world where war is going to happen no matter what I do or don't do. Um, I live in a world that as much as I want people just to be honest and tell the truth about everything, um, there's reasons why people don't tell the truth. Yeah. Um, even to those who are close to them. Um, I live in a world where um, as much as I want to not concentrate on stuff as much, it's very easy for stuff to accumulate. And then the it's, it's not so much that stuff accumulating that's bad, but it's my attachment to the stuff that I don't use or filter anymore. Like there's nothing, I don't have a use for them. But I don't want to get rid of it. 
Yeah. And, and so, um, cause it's not the accumulation of stuff. I think I'm starting to kind of realize this and I'm going to say, when I'm saying I'm starting, like literally within the past month, I'm starting to realize that the accumulation of stuff itself is not bad, but it's when you need to separate from the stuff that doesn't matter. And I'm almost wondering, and I, I, again, I don't want to study it, but I, I probably need to, of when Jesus says, like, um, to leave your father and mother and come follow me, sell everything you have, give it to the poor and come follow me. If it's saying the things that you attach yourself to the most, the things that you are most selfish about, when you can remove those selfish connections, then you have an opportunity to truly change the world. Yeah. Um, and it's not so much that you actually leave father and mother. It's not so much that you actually sell everything you have and give it to the poor, but it's that your attachments to your father and mother, um, that your attachments to your, your, your riches, it's your attachment, um, to your family, you know, um, that if you really want to change the world, you have to be able to detach. And, um, that's, that's a principle that was that I think, well, I think that there's a lot of new age elements or the new age, I don't know, mysticism or whatever you call the spirituality. That's not part of this more institutional framework. They're, you know, maybe woke, like the mm-hmm. wokeness, right. Is about providing space for people and allowing people to be seen. Um, and I think that, uh, go to one of your points earlier. I, I don't remember the word in Hebrew, but I, I believe the same word in Hebrew that, uh, um, that means love also means obligation. And it's, and it, and if that's the case, then it's kind of like, you know, you have an obligation to other people, whether, whether or not you like it or not, you know, and it's, uh, it just, I feel that we have like deep in ourselves we have a lot more in common than we don't. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people are afraid to really lean into that um, is to show themselves who they are and also really like, you know, love fully without fear of rejection, love people that are different than them. It's the 70 times 70, right? You went back to that. How many times are you supposed to forgive people? you don't have to be attached to the, like you talk about attachment too. You don't have to be attached to the fact of why didn't they do the right thing or why didn't they do this? Mm -hmm. And you can still have solid boundaries without holding a grudge against them forever because people do things, you know, and I don't know. It's just a, it's, well, and, and part of it is life is hard and it doesn't, I yeah. mean, it, it's just hard. And I mean, and as you, you mentioned, you know, the people that Jesus should have had the strongest attachments to were the ones who ended up killing him. Um, and it's, 
it's just a reminder that, I mean, I'm a little bit of a dark person anyway, in the sense that I, I enjoy um, things that don't turn out right. Like, so mm-hmm. um, if, if it makes sense, like a good novel to me, the hero doesn't always win. Um, if, the, if it doesn't make sense for the hero to win, then it's cool. If they, if it makes sense for the hero to win, cool. Um, but I, I really despise, um, um, people like not despise. I really enjoy the ones that like, you think that, oh, everything is going to, um, like the usual suspects. Well, I was thinking more of like, if you just do right all the time, everything is just going to work out and it's going to be fine. Yeah. And I don't, that doesn't <laughs> seem like reality, but yeah. that's exactly what we tell everybody. And the problem is, is I'm still kind of trained that that has to be true. Right. Because what they wouldn't tell, they, they wouldn't teach us this all our life yeah. if it wasn't true. And, um, so I still try my best to do the right thing. Um, um, but maybe that's where part of my reminder needs to be that doing the right thing doesn't always mean, um, like it's the purpose isn't to do the right thing. That's a secondary, a secondary thing. Um, love, you know, caring about others and stuff is more important. And sometimes doing the right thing is not the right thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but then and, that causes and who are you to decide what the right thing is? Yeah. Um, so, but I'm also going through a lot of challenging things to my, myself. So I, right now, so I don't know how much I don't more so than probably any other time in my life. I don't have anything settled, um, for good or for bad. And there's both yeah. benefits and not so benefit to it. <laughs> yeah. And I think I'm in a similar place, different scenarios, but similar place too. It's a, well, I'm going to pull out my book real quick. Cause I've got this here. It's, the books of the Ethiopian Bible that were left out of the Protestant canon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like the Ethiopian church is pretty interesting because it's basically the oldest, they have the oldest Bible. Um, well, they're the Coptics, right? Yeah. Okay. But it's, uh, it's, it's just very interesting because you look at their religious art and stuff. It's not, um, you know, white face. Right. So it's, it's a, it's such a diverse. Well, and then, and then there were some theories that the European version of Jesus was also imported from them also. So there's a lot of theories out there, but I think that, um, I don't know. It's just, and we're a family of Islam too. So it's kind of like, everybody's got very similar beliefs. We've kind of got these sports teams that we agree on. And I think faith is very personal to a lot of people. Uh, When you get into being attached to a certain way of being and other people have to have the same beliefs as you, Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's where you have religious wars and 
you know, you could probably argue that we're in a religious war right now too, kind of like we went over the Crimean war example, but it's really a division East versus West around cultural traditions. And then, I don't know, it's just, it's very interesting to see how people project their beliefs on religion and then religion in turn project projects its values on society based on their original proje projection. So it's, I mean, I think religion is such an amazing thing um, and spirituality uh, because it's, it's something that we can share together. And, you know, we've talked a lot about on this podcast, how people as they've basically resisted religious beliefs and religious structure have found other religions, whether that be through political ide ideology or stuff like saving the world by everybody has to have electric cars and, or there's too many people on this world. So we need to kill a bunch of people or, um, you know, essentially neuter people through, certain mechanisms so they don't have more children. Um, but right. it's, it's just, uh, the, it's complicated. This world that we live in, like you said, there's so much that people deal with. Everybody interprets their own story. And to go back to your church example, you know, in Oklahoma, it's blonde hair, blue eyes, right? So, um, and in Ethiopia, it's, uh, dark black hair or brown hair and brown face. And I, I, I just, I mean, my favorite thing in the world is to be able to spend time in people's religion. And I'm not an expert myself at any of this. But it's just really interesting for me to uh, learn about people's faith because it drives so many people in how they approach um, things in life and the decisions that they make. Mm -hmm. But um, I mean, I'm I'm not attached to any certain thing. You know, Jesus could have been a duck, and I'd still think that that's super cool. He's probably like hatching eggs and bringing them to people to feed them, you know, if that, like, it's just, uh, I've, I've, I've got my, uh, rubber ducky here that I'm looking at. So that's where it came from. Not entirely random, but it's, I mean, it's, it, we're, we're at such a divisive point in the world that I think if we release our attachments to other people being a certain way, then that just opens up such a entirely new world that we can live in and experience each other, you know, trying to figure out yeah, what the hell this life and this meat suit is all about, you know? So, um, I don't know. I just, it's cool. And it's nice having a friend that knows actual <laughs> religious history and 
about this stuff. It's it's what it is. Um, yeah. The, um, I, I will say that one thing I definitely would never do is tell anybody that um, to stop participating in their religion and stuff. If they're if if it's bringing them contentment and they're growing as a person, then to continue doing it. Um, yeah. Regardless if I agree with you or not. Um, but if you use your religion as a weapon and not, or if you use your sports team as a weapon, you use your politics as a weapon, you use your Duracell batteries as a weapon, probably that one more so than all the rest, but cause I mean, batteries hurt when they get thrown at you. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> if you use your ideology or your, or the thing that's allegedly making you better. And the only reason why you're using it is to hurt other people. Um, or to show how awesome you are, um, of the fact that you don't believe what the common idiots believe and stuff like that. You're, you're probably just an a-hole. Um, yeah. And there's, I'm pretty confident with that too. Yeah. There's like, there's some pretty, I would say more natural laws that it's like, you shouldn't just murder someone for, because you like murdering people, you know, stuff like that. And, people are really uptight about you need to behave a certain way. And oftentimes that's, I'd say more of a projection on the things that they're insecure about themselves. Right. I, uh, I listened to, uh, I mean, you didn't know about him last time I sent you, but the Oliver Anthony music, mm -hmm. he's super popular now. So, Chris, his real name's Chris, but, uh, he went on, he named it after his grandfather. Um, but, uh, he went on Joe Rogan the other day and I listened to it and he, let's see, um, threw out, uh, Proverbs 420, which he said, he said, he thought, Joe Rogan would like because he smokes pot, but, um, but uh, it says like I don't know. I thought it was pretty good. It says, "My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them, and health to one's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it." Keep your mouth free from perversity. Keep corrupt talk from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to your path of your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. And I think, you know, I was just like, oh, shit. That's, uh, that's a good, you know. That's a good passage. And my interpretation of it is live from your heart, pay attention to how your actions and words reflect that. And also keep some autonomy over your own personal beliefs. You know, don't project yourself on your word. Don't allow other people to project on you. Like this thing is important and 
don't be scandalous, you know? Like it's, I think a lot of people make compromises on what they know that they shouldn't be doing because they either feel that they have to for other people or they're going to get something out of it that's going to make them better. But you can't, you can't take a lot of things back. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, people make mistakes too. And, um, it's just, it's hard to be a human. So you might as well do your best job at trying to keep yourself untainted and true to yourself. Otherwise bad things happen. So, yeah, I think the more an interesting thing that goes with that is what then, since I can do all things, uh, which is actually kind of funny. Well, I'll bring, I'll bring some scriptural passage to it. Uh, just because all I can do all things doesn't mean I should, um, cause not everything is beneficial. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, and just because I can do all things, um, doesn't necessarily, it's going to make me to the person that I'm wanting to be. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, totally. It's, yeah. I don't know. This is pretty cool talk. So I'm glad that you talked about Jesus or Jesus. <laughs> based uh, on, on try to find the easiest way to not say anything at all. <laughs> <laughs> it's so if we could sum up this whole, um, whole conversation, I'd, I'd reflect that, um, Jesus teaches us not to be attached and also live lives of forgiveness and obligation to living a heart centered existence, um, with, with love. So I would say the only thing I'd change is it's not so much not leave attached, but be able to detach when necessary. Yeah. I know that's a small little thing, but I'm, that's I'm weird very, like that. no, it's, it's a big distinction because you don't want to be fully detached, but you need to detach so you can maintain authenticity of. Yeah. You should be able to take care of your kids. You know, if you, if you, if you bring on an obligation on yourself, that's part of you to take care of that. Um, but don't put your meaning in that. Like, um, like our kids probably is the best example. Like I love my daughter. You love your, your kids more than anything. And we'll do, about anything to try to, um, think to, you know, to just help them be successful, help, help them have a great life. Um, and that, that there's nothing wrong with any of that. It's whenever we say our whole life is our kids and nothing else and nothing else matters. And, um, um, and that's where it gets unhealthy is now we're, we're putting our kids as our God basically. Yeah. Yeah, but totally. That's a whole other, <laughs> <laughs>